I really, I didn't, I don't think I did, knew that much about theology until I became a parent. And, and I remember so well, you know, one of the, one of the lessons learned watching my children. And even more recently, I remember uh, that, uh, that Jill and Ryan were at our house. She was, you know, she was just over a year in age and she was getting ready to walk. I mean, she was at that point, she was turning loose of the, of the, of the coffee table or she was kind of standing up on her own. And, and Sam was presenting a paper somewhere and was kind of a little bit late getting into town. And we were just delaying Ryan in every way. We didn't want her to take those first steps without Sam being there. And Sam had just gotten off the plane and we got him to the house. We were out in the front yard together because uh, Ryan was swinging in the swing. And when she saw her daddy and we took her out of the swing and we put her down in front of her daddy, daddy goes down on one knee and does this. And, and, and Ryan took about four steps and just fell into his arms. And what did we do? Man, we cheered. We cheered. I mean, now they weren't real steady steps. You get it? I mean, just saying, learning how to walk, she faltered. But where we left you last week, in, in, in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 6, you know, John was saying, said, the person who really knows Jesus should be walking in the world in the same way that he walks. But we don't get there overnight, do we? Spiritually, we have to learn how to walk, and we will fall down, and we will have to get back up. But see, when you understand the love of the Father for you, then you understand that, that, that every time we start to take a step, He's cheering for us. He's, he's on board. And, and, and as a matter of fact, we've said this before, and, and I'll remind you, you know what I'm saying, walking really only involves two things. I mean, seriously, if you want to learn how to walk, you, you, you do this foot, and you do this foot. I mean, how tough is that? Right? But see, in the Christian life, it's trust, obey. Trust, obey. If you're not walking in obedience, you have a trust problem. You're not believing God for what He's promised, what He wants to do in your life. Because that, and, and, and here's the cool thing about it. Is he, you realize is that you know, what, I, what I saw when Sam went down on that knee is that, is that little Ryan fixed her attention right on her dad. Nowhere else. Looked right into her dad's face and he goes down on one knee. And that's what the gospel is telling us, that, that God has gone down on one knee for us in Jesus. And he's thrust his arms out. He says, walk. Trust me, obey me, and then trust me for another step, and obey me another step, and then trust me, and then obey me, and trust me more, and obey me more. Trust, obey, trust, obey. and pretty soon what, what's happening? We're walking in the world in the same way that he walked. And so we come to verse 7. Todd, we're going to skip a, a slide there, Okay. Come to verse 7, if you would. Turn with me to First uh, John uh, in chapter 2, beginning with uh, verse 7. Beloved. Now the word there, I put it in there for you, is agapetos. Um, this is John's favorite word for 
those who were recipients of the letter, for his friends, those that he loved in Ephesus and that area. Beloved, but it's, it's, it's a word with the dual meaning here because it's, he, he, he's using it not only to express his love for them, but he's also affirming that they are loved by God. You know, it's, it's both of those things. Beloved, he says, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing you, which is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. So whoever says he is in the light and he hates his brother is still in darkness. Now, are you picking up on what the theme of the passage is? What are we going to be talking about here? Love. But he hadn't used the word yet. But we clued in pretty quickly, didn't we? Was there any doubt in your mind where John was going with this? See, in verse 10 he says, Whoever loves, it's a agapeo, agapeo, his brother abides in the light. So we, we, we picked up on this that... that where John was going because he was talking about this is an, it's not a new command. It's, it's, it's an old command, but in, but in another sense, it's, it's a new, well, which is it, John? But John, we, we're, we're tracking with you. You're, you're going to talk about love, aren't you? Because you see, when Jesus was asked back in the Gospels, Matthew 22, which is the greatest commandment of all, what did he say? He quoted Deuteronomy chapter 6. Here's the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your mind, your soul, and your strength. And then he, then he pulled in something from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. He said, and here's the second, and it's just like the first or the greatest. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so when John starts to talk here, they've obviously heard John teach the gospel. They've heard him tell the stories of Jesus. They, 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 they recognize, just like, like you recognize where John was going, they recognized where he was going because they've heard the gospel and they've heard the stories of Jesus as well. And so when he comes to verse 10, he says, whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for, for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in darkness. And he walks in darkness and he does not know where he is going because the darkness has, has blinded his eyes. Hmm. So Deb and I, were, uh, we were praying on the way in this morning and, um, it, and you know, the rain was you know, crashing into the windshield and the windshield wipers are going and, and there's lightning as we left early and, and it looks like there's going to be rain through the morning, right? And, and some of us just got the flash flood warning on our smartphones while we're right in the middle of the service. And, uh, and so we were praying and, and so we were, what do you think we were praying? We, we were praying, it, it's funny how this works. We started praying that God's people would not let the rain be an obstacle for coming to worship. 
Because we commonly do that. We, uh, those of us in the profession, you know, we, we have to show up on rainy days. I mean, we get paid to be here, right? I'm saying, but you don't, you know, so you look outside and, 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 and you think about it. What happens to church attendance on a rainy day, generally speaking? Does it go up? So we're, we're praying. And in the middle of praying that, I'm, I'm, I'm struck with how crazy that prayer is. You see, here in 1 John, which we, we're going to talk about and, and go through verse by verse, John saw three great obstacles facing the church toward the end of the first century. Three great struggles which John will bring up several times in this letter. And each time he'll hold them up in each of those issues or those challenges in, in, in the light so that we can see it from a little different angle or from a different vantage point. But frankly, what's a little thunder and rain like in comparison to what John's talking about in here? That are our challenges. We're constantly being challenged. We're tested in three areas. If we're Christians, we can expect to be tested in all of these. And we can expect sometimes to stumble, to trip in our walk, and have to get back up. But if we are believers, John says, that we will begin to see growth, and we will become more steady in that walk, and we will, and we will begin to recognize that there's a faithfulness that's being developed in us in these three areas. And the first one is in the area of our beliefs, in the very things that we trust as true, those things are constantly being put to the test, especially in the culture in which we live today. Our beliefs, there's a doctrinal test that, that reoccurs in 1 John. And then there's the moral test, our morals. John says, if we love Him, if we love Him, we will learn to obey His teaching. We will seek after His will in all things in our life. We will follow after Him. There is a moral test of obedience. And then there is the relational test. We are challenged in the area of relationships and the love test. And that's what John is talking about here in this text. And so, uh, so what I want to do is just, I just want to give you three insights from this text. Here's the first one, okay? This love is the same that you received at the time of your conversion. This love that John is speaking of, this agape, is the same as you received at the time of your conversion. Look at this. Beloved, he says, I am writing no new commandment, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. Now keep in mind, he's talking to believers at Ephesus or in, the, in that southwestern portion of Asia Minor where John was living. Jerusalem had been destroyed in 70 AD and the church of Jesus had to, was dispersed and had to flee in the destruction of Jerusalem. And John ends up in Ephesus and he lives out his days in that, in that area. And he's predominantly surrounded by Gentile believers who didn't grow up didn't grow up with the Old Testament law. Didn't grow up with, uh, with, with Deuteronomy chapter 6, if you will. And so this commandment, he says, is old. It's not new. Because he's saying to them, because it's been instilled in you from the beginning, since the time of your conversion, that you came to know the gospel. He says, you've had it 
from the beginning. So if you're a believer, you, the agape is already there by, on the basis of, of, you know, of your relationship with him. The seed the, the, you know, that is, is implanted in you and it's growing in you already. He said they certainly didn't have to have, you know, they didn't have it or they didn't hear it prior to their entrance into relationship with Christ or into Christian community, but they have clearly heard it now as the word ever since that entrance. And there's probably no more important word or descriptive word of God than love. This is the key word, not only in Jesus, a key word and not only in Jesus' vocabulary, but he, the living word, epitomized it, and, and it is central in their vocabulary, all those who know him, the word agape. And so look at Romans chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. I'm going to read it in, in its context, but there's something I really want you to see um, um, bef- before we talk a little bit about this word. Okay, here you go. Let's start with verse 1 back there, Todd. Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, now keep in mind, he's, he's set the tone in Romans. He's, he's talked about the doctrine of sin and the doctrine of salvation and how we come to faith in Christ. In chapter 5, in chapter 5, he's talking about what happens and what develops out of, that, of, of our conversion. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, because we put our faith in Christ, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And through him we've also attained access by faith into his grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because because God's love, God's agape has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit which has been given to us. When did we get it? It came with the Holy Spirit. The agape came with the Holy Spirit. So I need to kind of, we need to talk about, give you a little primer on the word agape. Okay, because, uh, because anything that we can do to kind of help us understand and get a handle on this will help. But I, and this won't fully fill out the idea for you. But, I, but, uh, but if you're interested in that term, then go get C.S. Lewis's book, The, the Four Loves. Uh, because you see, the the New Testament was written primarily was written in uh, the Koine Greek, the common Greek language, and, and it, it's not a uh, it's not a very difficult uh, language. It's not as near as complicated as English, but it is in one sense very much more expressive. And there are four words in the Greek language for love, and you are probably already familiar with them. So let's show you the slide. Okay, here you go. All right, there you go. All right. Phileo, eros, storge, and agape. Now we put, excuse me there, light. We, we put phileo and eros and storge on one side for a purpose, okay? Now you know phileo love, Philadelphia, brotherly love, the, you know, things that are shared in, in common friendship kind of love, companionship kind of love, phileo. And then there's eros. Eros is sexual kind of love. It's a passion, you know, that, you know, that we would have for a person. And the, the word doesn't appear in the New Testament. But if you read the Song of Solomon, you get an idea about how passionate 
Solomon was for his bride. So it's, it's in there, okay? And then there's storge, which is family love, or it might be the love or the, uh, you know, the, uh, the allegiance and loyalty to a tribe. But, it's, it, but, is, uh, th- but, but here's what I would say about all three of those loves, is that those are need-based loves. We need friends. We need companionship. We, you know, we seek after sexual connection and, and sexual pleasure in, in, our, in our lives. We, we need family, and we need family to provide uh, for us and to give a foundation in, in our lives. And so there are, these are all loves. Those three are need-based love. They're driven by need. I hope you can see that. And, and they are also selective. We... In the need-based loves, we don't necessarily just get that from just anybody. There's particular people that we pick out that will meet our needs in any of those areas. And they are natural. I mean, they don't have to be taught to us. They're inborn. When we, you know what I'm saying, when we come out of, of mom screaming, you know, and crying, you know, we're, we're immediately beginning to tell people, I have needs, take care of me. Change my diaper, feed me take care of me, you know what I'm saying? These are inborn, they're natural to us, okay? Now, here's what I believe. I believe Scripture is telling us that agape isn't like that. Agape, on the other hand, is not need-based. It's fulfilled love. It's fulfillment love. When agape comes into the heart, agape creates a resource in us you know what I'm saying? It fulfills us in such a way that, that it, is not, it is not driven by need, but it's driven by the desire to give, the desire to, you know, to love another, the desire to fulfill others. It also does not discriminate. Agape doesn't discriminate. It loves all and all kinds of people if you will. All you have to do is follow Jesus around for a few days and you begin the idea that he loved indiscriminately because he loved with agape. He cared about all individuals, all people. Agape doesn't discriminate. And, and lastly, agape is not natural to us. It is supernatural. And that is what Paul is saying in Romans 5. It's poured. He pours the agape in your heart at the point that the Holy Spirit enters into your life. And then you have a resource in you in which to love. You can tap into divine love, into God's love. Now, here's the thing that you need to also be aware of. Is that agape does not stamp out or seek to eradicate the other, the need loves. No. You, you, you were created... Human, Jesus shared all the same needs that you have, right? All the need loves were there, but what we see in Jesus is, is that, you know, there was, that, that that was kept somehow in balance. It was kept somehow in perspective that his, the agape was, the, was the, the central force of his life, his love for the Father and his love for others. And so the the, the agape love, the supernatural love of God, doesn't come in to eradicate the other loves. So what does it do? Let me suggest that it enriches the other loves. It enriches them. It, it brings a depth you know, to, uh, to a, 
to a relationship, an, a depth to a friendship, to a phileo kind of, to a friendship. It brings a, a depth and a meaning and a bond in a marriage relationship, you know, say that is sealed with sexual union. It, it, it deepens that. It, it, you know, it deepens and it, and it, and it does a, an enriching work in the family of all that are, that are touched by that love. It, it's, it's a force for enrichment and, and also for stability. It stabilizes. The need loves do this. They just vacillate. Especially, especially Eros, it can be just totally out of control all over the page. But when agape, when the, 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 when agape comes into a life and begins to work, it's, you know, it's supernatural process. It begins to stabilize the other loves. And last, it heals and it corrects. You see, the need loves can get distorted. They can get twisted. They can get bent out of shape. You know what I'm saying? And because of that we're driven by our need, you know, we, we will say we love someone, but we can use that manipulatively, can't we? It can even become abusive. But when agape enters into the picture, when the love of God is shed abroad in our heart, do you, do you see that he, it begins not only to enrich and to stabilize, but it begins to heal places where there are hurts and there are wounds, and it, and it corrects, it untwists those places where we have taken our needs and, and our need loves have, have, have knocked things out of balance or have twisted and distorted love. And so, that's agape. And, and, and it's just something I, I wanted you to think about. Now, uh, uh, I love uh, Lewis Smead uh, is a, a professor of Christian ethics at uh, Fuller uh, Seminary out in California. And, uh, and, and man, he, he has passively mentored me in reading Smeads on ethics in this area. And so, uh, so understanding agape and really having a sense of, you know, of what that means is, is so key to understanding what, what John is trying to say to us here. He, he says, he says if, now, if you've come to faith in Christ, that love, the agape has been shed abroad in your hearts. You have what you need. And it's not going to force out or eradicate the other, the need loves in your life. You're still going to seek out special people to be friends with and, and uh, one, you know, one person to, to, you know, to, to really to couple with and to marry. That, that's going to be there. But do you realize that now that you have agape, you've got something that will enrich and will, will stabilize and will heal and correct those loves. It just gets getting better and better. So John says, says, says he says to the, the Ephesian church, guys, you, you've had this since the time of conversion. That love has been there. there there's a second thing he says. and He says, this love may be old, but it, but it always feels new. This love may be old, but it always feels new. Verse 8, at the same time, it is a new command that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and, you, and in you because the darkness is passing away and the light is already shining. 
It's old, yes, in that it goes back to the time that they trusted Christ. But Jesus himself described it as new. Jesus himself. Look at John 13, beginning with verse 33. Or 34. A new commandment. Where is Jesus in, in John 13? He's in the upper room. All part of the upper room discourse. Last night he's with the disciples. Last night. He's going to say some very important things to them. On his last night. A new commandment, he says, guys, I give you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Hmm. So what's new about it? I would suggest to you that Jesus replaced, replaced love others as you love yourself with love, your, love others as I have loved you. That's new. I don't know about you, but just being honest, I've struggled with loving myself. Probably the best thing that ever happened to me was somebody helping me understand that I could love, my, I could love others in the same way that Christ has loved me and the focus becomes on the way Christ has loved deeply loved me and freed me then to love others does that make sense I think that's one of the things that's new here look at John 15 begin with verse 9 they're still in the upper room and Jesus says as the father has loved me so I have loved you Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments, and I abide in His love. These things I've spoken to you, that, you're, that, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. Two sources there of joy. His and what becomes ours. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. says again, Greater love has no man or no one than this, than they lay down their lives. Then someone lay down his life for his friends, which is exactly what he did. You see, John's telling us this commandment to love is new, which is true in him, demonstrated in him, made real in him, made visible in every way. In him, and now is being becoming real and visible in you. If you are his, and the agape abides in you, you are learning to love. And the darkness, he says, is passing away, and the light is already shining. And 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 one day, one day, everything will be brought into the light. The darkness will be eradicated, and everything will be brought into the light. That day is coming. John is saying. But here's the application. The Christian lives in this perennial expectancy of the new. The newness of the command to love. Because every person you encounter, every person you meet, is a chance to be obedient and to love. So with every new day... There's fresh opportunity 
And it's interesting the use of words here in the, in the Greek because John says it's not a new commandment. In the, it is a new commandment, not in the sense of neo, neos, that is uh, something that has recently come about or, or been born, but kainos, kainos which, which essentially, essentially is the idea of something which is fresh, unused, and unworn. This is fresh. It's unused. It's new in the sense that this love is always being refreshed in us. So this love may be old, but it always feels new. Because every time we encounter a new person or a new situation, there's an opportunity to love. And last, John says, this love, with this love, the difference is night and day. The difference is night and day. Just look at the contrast here. Look at how John describes in 1 John the, the person who has come to believe and come to know God. You know, 1 John 1.7, he says, He walks in the light. He walks in the light. In, in 1 John 2, verse 9, in the text we just read, He is in the light. He is in the light. And verse 10 of chapter 2, and he abides in the light. That's where he, he lives. And he, he doesn't trip up himself or others. It's, he does not cause stumbling. He, he doesn't trip himself up or others. You see, love is seen as evidence of where he lives and how he lives. But in contrast to that, look at how John describes the person who has hatred and holds resentment in his heart. Is unreachable by the love of God. Look, he is in darkness. Verse 11, he is in darkness. He walks around in darkness. He doesn't know where he's going. Because he's become blinded by the darkness that's in him. And he stumbles. John infers he stumbles and probably will cause others to stumble. Man, that's, that's uncomfortable, isn't it? When John gets that black and white, does that make you uncomfortable? Kind of gets all over me sometimes. You see, believers don't just talk about love with some emotion or with some sentimentality believers spring into action because it's not about words it's about action all you got to do is read 1 Corinthians 13 for that no sentimentality there but it's all about action well we need to wrap this up what John is saying is the difference that love makes is a difference between night and day in our lives. Trust me, if you know the agape love of God, you know the truth of that. Agape changes everything. Agape turns on the lights again and again in every relationship, in, in every situation that we find ourselves in. And it feels new and fresh every time that he does it. But if you're a follower of Christ, you've known that agape from the time that you met Christ.
But John is saying, if you don't, if you've not met Christ, you don't have agape. You've got the need loves going. You're probably doing the best you can out there. Trying to love, trying to get your needs met. Somehow, trying to bargain with people somehow, negotiate this thing where you give a little, they get a little, you know, but somehow or another you get it all negotiated out where you're, you live somewhat happy. And John says, when you get the agape, the difference is night and day. I would just leave you with a couple of questions. Here's one. Can a Christian ever say, I can't love that person? Can a Christian ever say, I just can't love that person? What do you think? You can say it, but it's not true. If you've got the love of God in you, if agape's in you, you have a force, a force that enriches, stabilizes, heals, and corrects. I'm just saying, I don't, I don't, I don't think a Christian can ever say, I can't love that person. I think what a Christian can say is, God, I'm really struggling. I'm having difficulty loving that person. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to submit to you, and I'm going to ask you to give me a love that comes from you, divine love, which you poured into me because out of grace you poured into me. And so, God, I'm going to, in action, emotionally, I'm going to trust my emotions will follow at some point and catch up with this, but I'm going to start acting in a way that, Shows love and respect, care, concern, and serves that person. Second question. Can a Christian ever say, Lord, I can't forgive that person? Now I'm really meddling. Yeah. Lord, I can't forgive that person. Really? Dave? We need to talk. There's some things you still need to learn about agape. About my love. Let's pray.